M. Night Shyamalan is back and not without controversy. Today I'm talking about Knock at the Cabin. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about the latest M. Night uh, Shyamalan movie, which is called Knock at the Cabin. Uh, recently was the number one film at the box office uh, before the Magic Mike movie took it over. Um, but yeah, and this has been getting a lot of discussions and a lot of very polarized reactions, something I'll get into. So yeah, let's get started. Over the past weekend, the online movie world has been discussing the latest movie from M. Night Shyamalan, Knock at the Cabin. While the majority of the news stories have been about the film finally knocking off Avatar 2 from its box office throne, the film has also received polarized reactions from audiences and critics. Proponents have said that the movie is a nerve-shredding thrill ride, while detractors have said that the movie argues that put-upon communities, like the gay men at the center of the film's conflict, should try to understand their oppressors. The second take is a lot of thematic depth to glean from a filmmaker like Shyamalan, who, to put it lightly, is not a subtle filmmaker. So are the detractors right? Or is this the product of a filmmaker obsessed with concepts and a certain kind of payoff coming up against fraught material? Based on the novel of the same name, the film follows two gay men and their adopted daughter who are enjoying a vacation stay at a cabin in the woods. But the vacation goes south in a hurry when a man named Leonard and his three compatriots arrive at the cabin and hold the family, uh, sorry, hold the family of three captive. Not only that, not only that, but they have a terrifying proposition. Either they have to kill a member of their family or the world will end. The baseline for Knock at the Cabin is well-suited to M. Night's sensibilities, a small, single-location thriller with opportunities for devastating imagery, i.e. the stuff that was kind of laughable in The Happening works really well here. Strong, nuanced performances from the main cast and a knack for delivering tense standoffs without relying on violence and gore to creep the audience out, though there is a lot of implied violence. My personal MVPs are Ben Aldrich as the more defiant husband, Andrew, and Dave Bautista as the group's leader, Leonard. Aldrich is the heavy lifting amongst the couple, partially because Jonathan Groth's Eric is concussed throughout the majority of the film, and also because he's the most outwardly emotional. While the rest of the cast are either trying to stay calm or give measured responses, Aldrich is the one spitting in their faces saying, fuck you, while also dealing with some terrifying possibilities. On the other end, Dave Batista continues to impress with his performance as Leonard. This entire performance is a great example of how acting and directing work hand in hand. Nothing in Batista's presentation screams malice. He's very soft-spoken, very measured, and hesitant to act. He's clearly holding back in almost every moment, but visually the f- movie makes you feel his physical presence, either by shooting him from below his eyeline as the family sees him, or making his presence stand out in more serene areas, like a white dot in a sea of green. Tension-wise, the movie starts hot and then keeps things simmering by answering the audience's main questions with a series of horrifying reveals. All of this means that some of the film's janky elements, like some forced and weirdly timed news reports, are superseded by the immediate tension in the room and the lingering notion that a member of the family will have to kill someone they love. As a straightforward thriller, this is a pretty good idea, with all of the ups and downs you'd expect. 
Unfortunately, the payoff has to deal with a lot of themes and ideas that M. Night and company didn't appear to consider, especially when it comes to the ending. So, big time spoilers ahead. Spoiler warning. The main reason this movie is so polarizing, and will likely continue to be, has less to do with its concept than its ending. In the original novel, the conflict between the group and the family escalates until the daughter is accidentally killed by a member of the group. And since the family's sacrifice needs to be made by a member of the family, this means that the apocalypse happens. Whereas in Shyamalan's version, all four members of the group die before Jonathan Groth's Eric, clearly convinced by the seemingly supernatural occurrences, the group's convictions, and his own peace, pushes his partner Andrew to kill him and live a wonderful life with their daughter Wen. Andrew reluctantly agrees, the apocalypse is called off, and Wen and now single father try to reconcile with the aftermath, including the deaths of Eric and the four group members. Now, I know why M. Night changed the ending. In fact, I suspected he would once I heard about it. And also know why that robs the story of some of its power, and intentional or not, reinforces some bad ideas. Which brings us to M. Night Shyamalan, a creepy filmmaker with a sentimental streak. As a filmmaker, Shyamalan is most closely associated with creepy premises and plot twists, but he also has a different kind of streak that runs through the majority of his work, sentimentality. In the M. Night Shyamalan world, life is creepy and full of terrifying things that can haunt and shape the lead characters, but a semblance of hope survives. The Sixth Sense ending is devastating, but also provides closure for everyone involved. Unbreakable may have a terrifying reveal of a true villain, but said villain is going to jail while our hero survives to fight another day. In Signs, Faith wins out against an alien invasion, and everything that occurs in the happening is a warning, and even the children from old uncover the truth and save the day. Sacrifices, even of people's lives, mean something in Shyamalan's work. So the notion that he would make a movie where a little girl dies and the end of the world and the world still ends because she, of how she died broke the rules is almost laughable. There isn't this isn't the guy that's going to make this movie. You'd probably need someone like Brian Bertino, the guy behind The Strangers, instead. My guess is that in M. Night's mind, his ending is clean, nice, and in some ways beautiful. A father and his partner's love are so strong that he's willing to sacrifice himself to save the world, including his husband and child. He even puts Andrew's fears to rest by telling him about the beautiful future he's had a vision of, and even Andrew, even if Andrew can't see it. But that take on the ending removes gay people's, and in particular, Eric and Andrew's own experiences from the equation because the real tragedy of Knock at the Cabin is the danger of prejudice. So there's nothing wrong with making the characters of this dark thriller a family with same-sex parents, but ideally the writers would have a firm grasp on how being gay in a frequently intolerant society can shape someone's reactions. The book and the film both get the first step right. Considering the general level of intolerance that Andrew and Eric have encountered, including a literal hate crime that put Andrew in the hospital, he is not going to be receptive to the ideas that, one, any kind of religious zealot has anything worthwhile to say, and two, his family specifically needs to make a sacrifice. This is bolstered in the film by waking one member of the group, the same man who committed the hate crime against Andrew, and made him so concerned about his own safety that he trained up as a boxer and bought a gun. So of course this family isn't going to go with this group's plans or make the sacrifice they want them to make. And if the daughter Wen dies and the world ends, it becomes an indictment of a society where prejudice is commonplace and shapes the people who live in it. 
The world dies because we, as a whole, were not tolerant enough. The ask was always impossible, but it is even more impossible in an unequal world. If Andrew kills Eric and the world survives, well, that group, including the man who assaulted Andrew, were always right, and they also didn't need to die. A very easy reading is that Andrew should have put all of his feelings aside and listened to these people from the jump. Then that a mother, a teacher, a nurse, and a man trying to make the better world, trying to make a better world would still be with us. And I don't think this was intentional. In fact, I think the movie brings up the point over and over again that the group had no idea who would be here, and Leonard even says that he believes the strength of their love is why they were chosen. But being chosen to make the hard choice that no one else has to, to kill your love or end your life so the world ends, that lines up with a lot of anti-gay rhetoric we've been hearing nowadays, who treat people living happy, openly queer lives as a threat to existence itself. By trying to make their sacrifices mean something, M. Night and company accidentally reinforced the wrong message. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.